Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. As Hans-Georg Hoprich continues our series through the book of Acts, today we will see how Paul got into trouble while speaking in the temple. We will also see how his identity mattered to the Romans when they wanted to solve the situation and how he finally was released. And we will also learn more about different ways of abuse and what we can learn from today's sermon to handle it. But now let's start with today's sermon, An Unanswerable Argument. Rather dramatic pictures from this incredible rescue action in Turkey went around the globe. It moved me to tears. There is a, a father holding the hand of his dead daughter, the daughter already in the coffin, but the hand is out and the father holding the hand of his daughter. There is even a more dramatic picture and story. There is a baby just born, still on the ambiguous court. Mom is dead. The baby is alive. Story after story in this incredible rescue action. It is amazing. But this is only part of the story, isn't it? When we look at the rescue action that the Lord Jesus went into, all the other things, they just lose color. There's nothing left because this is why we are here. He's rescued us. He brought us out. He gave us hope so that we can reach out to those in our rescue action. Well, today is a busy day for uh, me a little bit because um, in the afternoon we'll be uh, in yet another church. It's actually a church plant um, just outside of Vienna and I'm looking forward because it is very special. It means so much to me that I'm still, I get very excited because, you know, they gave me a very special topic which I think is foundational for any church. They asked me, you know, the connections between a church and missions. You know, they don't want to start 10 years down the line and talking about missions and all people are kind of, um, you know, they don't know what they are talking about because missions isn't part and parcel of the church. So they think, you know, what, what in the world are we doing? No, they do it right at the very start. The church hasn't hardly started. Crosslight, it's, I think, in the name. And uh, so I'm so excited about that. It's very special. We meet um, in the afternoon at uh, 5 o'clock uh, p.m. Uh, and um, that will be the topic from Philippians 2. Um, uh, at the end, um, uh, Paul is talking about um, co-workers that 
he called and um, so it's about Ephra, Epaphroditus uh, who was uh, such a faithful missionary, mission worker that uh, God used in a very special way, even in hardship. And uh, so I'm even now I'm excited, even though this is not um, our topic in one way, and yet it is. Because whenever the gospel is preached, it's talking about rescuing, people calling out. Bringing before the Lord Jesus. Now today, uh, we will, especially in the end, I'm pretty much aware that there may be one or two people that are touched by this because we will see also um, and talk about at the end about misuse at church because that happens too often. And we will talk about it and if some of our listeners are here or elsewhere. Um, we can talk about it afterwards, or you can come back to us, um, because it's not an easy subject. Misuse in church. It happens. I'm sorry to say so. I'm not pointing fingers to anybody, but I think it's time to talk about it. We cannot cover it up. It's happening too often. Yes, we point fingers to, I don't know, to some churches where it happens. But let's also look into our lives. So this morning, we're going to talk about an unanswerable argument. Now, when we look at the Lord Jesus, he made the Pharisees mad just by looking at them, you know. He opened his eye, looked at them, and they got mad. He didn't even open his mouth. In the rigid world, blind men, men were blind because they were sinners. And people like him did not get a second chance, but what perturbed the most was how he had gained his sight according to him. And in John 9, we read that story. It's a moving story, my brothers and sisters. If we read it, it moves me in, in my heart. The man who is called in uh, John uh, 9, um, verse 11, the man who is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. What an amazing um, story, but wait a minute. It was the wrong time. It was Sabbath. Wrong, according to the Pharisees. Everyone knew that making clay on the Sabbath was sinful. Therefore, Jesus, what was he? A sinner. Wow. And sinners could not perform miracles. Can they? This had to be some kind of 
trick, you know, made up, you know, miracle kind of thing. So they went to the blind man and they said in uh, John chapter 9, 24, give glory to God. They said, egging him to confess, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. But he could only answer, and that's a very moving answer, my friends. Very moving an unanswerable argument. Nobody could discuss it any further because it was clear. You know what he says? And I beg, together with you, please, that's something we have to confess as well. Whether he was a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Isn't that an unanswerable argument? They all could see. This is what happened. He was blind. Yes, all of them, they had to say, yes, we know him. We saw him sitting somewhere was blind. But now he could see. Could they argue about it? I don't know. I don't think so. There was nothing to argue about. Now I see. Isn't that a great testimony? I see. Wow. It warms my heart. Now I see. He blinked and just looked at them again. That really made them mad. You could understand that because Jesus, a sinner, could perform such a miracle. How in the world can he do it? The Jewish leader in Jesus' day were responding in frustration to the unanswerable argument. The healed man's testimony contained personal experience and irrefutable facts, proving beyond doubt that Jesus was the Son of God. Nothing, nothing to discuss about. And that's our chance, your chance and my chance in our personal testimony. This is why, my friends, the testimony of Paul is written down in Acts. Do you know how many times you read it again and again and again? The same testimony. Three times. It reminds us Dear brothers and sisters, to give our testimony again and again and again. Never refuse to give your personal testimony. Never. Talk about it. So that the Lord Jesus will be glorified. It is amazing. You know, this is 
our, your. This is what we should really take from here. This is our un unanswerable argument. This is it. Your personal testimony. This is what you've experienced. I was blind, but now I see. I think I would like to stop here, you know, and go back home now. Because, I mean, that's all there is. Sorry, I'm just joking. Our passage today in Acts, Paul is standing before another spiritually blind group at the temple. He's about to tell them how he used to be like them. He identified with them. He didn't point fingers, you know, you're sinners, you know, just move away. No, he did not do that. He is about to tell them how he used to be like them, but now sees. He will not use heavy theology or brilliant logic. You know, we think if we bring up our theology and come some kind of brilliant thought, you know, this is it. No, it isn't. Because our life stories telling another story. It's not brilliant theology because we know we are sinners. God rescued us. God brought us out. This is not brilliant theology. This is the rescue action of our Lord. Like the blind man in Jesus' day, the argument is of his changed life will be unanswerable. This is your personal incredible chance to talk about what the Lord Jesus has done in your lives. Please, my brothers and sisters, do not refuse to tell your testimony to people. This is your unanswerable. It, you can't, they cannot, we cannot discuss about it because this is fact. This is black and white as it were. The events surroundings Paul's first defense on the faith can be divided, and we'll talk about it now, <clears throat> um, into four sections. The first section concerns the um, uh, presentation itself, uh, and I put the headline, Speaking Before the Jews. In Acts 21, um, we, uh, verse 35 to 39, we see Paul at the stairs leading into the military barracks. The apostle asks the Roman commander if he can speak to the hostile crowd that is still calling out for his death. They were incredibly upset about Paul, and I want to kill him. This isn't a very good response, really. But can you see the power of your personal testimony? It's unanswerable. You know, it just is like a needle that goes into our body, and people, they, you know, either they also bow before the Lord Jesus 
and asking for the forgiveness or they will go against you. This is the power of our testimony. Can you see it? Acts 21, 40 to 22, chapter 22, 2. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hands. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew dialect, they even more became quiet. You know, they, they listened to him speaking their language. He identified totally with them. This is why we urge our co-workers all around the globe, you know, learn the language. We, our, the language we learned in Papua New Guinea wasn't um, a very hard one, and we were very proud. Pidgin is just a mixture between German. You hear, it's German. Yes, it is German. You will be very surprised to hear that, because parts of Papua New Guinea were, uh, you know, belonged to Germany uh, before the First World War. So in, uh, you know, when the, the language was kind of formed, there were even German words in it and some kind of uh, basic um, English, so pidgin is kind of a mixture. But we try to learn it, and at times they say to us, man, you're one of us, you're using the kind of language we use. So they said, well, we're living with you, so we listen to what you say and how you say it. You're one of us, and we liked it very much. We were not proud, but it's kind of natural, you know. It's like with kids. They repeat what they hear from their parents. And then my, one of my son was called a photocopy of myself. Because whenever they looked into his face, they say, well, this is, is that hands or is that the, uh, the sun? Uh, oh, it's a, oh, yeah, a photocopy. Can you see? You know, photocopy. And that's exactly what uh, Paul did. You know, he photocopied, he copied, and, and he was intelligent, of course, so he used the Hebrew dialect, you know. It wasn't the perfect one, but, you know, when they heard the dialect, wow, that was a different, kind of very different. He was one, he's one of us. Wow, we need to listen to him. The Hebrew dialect Paul used was, of course, Aramaic. This was the language of the Jews in Palestine by using their tongue and calling them brethren and fathers. He was identifying with the people. The first door anyone must open in ministering to others, continuing his efforts to win a, hear a hearing among them. Paul gives them even further credentials. In uh, Acts 22, 3 to 5, we read, I'm a Jew 
born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated uh, under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. You know, he put himself on the same level. And I persecuted this way to the death. I did the same what they are doing today. And putting both men and women into prison, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. This was his personal testimony, and again, in that dialect. Wow. It must have been like a hammer. Paul's heritage, his training under the highly respected Gamaliel, and his energetic zeal to keep the law, destroy Christianity once and forever, give him credibility with his audience because that's something they were about to do. Um, I remember when we were in Africa, I think it was uh, in September, we were invited um, in Botswana, a beautiful uh, sister. She is one of the uh, only a prison chaplains in Botswana, well-educated, a widow, by the way, her um, uh, well, um, the father of three children, he died prematurely, he was a, a dentist, and uh, we were invited to, you know, when the family gets together, because they were planning uh, um, the wedding of um, the, the sister's um, brother, and all the family were together. Now, uh, you know, our sister was very proud to welcome us. We were sitting first, very African style, under a tree, you know, the shadow, and, the, and it was great, you know, I loved it. You know, this is where I'm at home, you know, just outside, uh, you know, um, the red ground, very African, very African. Uh, and, um, and then she asked me to talk and, you know, present God's word to, to the family. They were gathered just around the house, you know, sitting on chairs. There was even a general of the, of the Botswana army. He belonged to the family. So, quite, you know, high-ranking people were there, and many of them, well-educated. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, some kind of, you know, men that do not know what they are doing. So I started to preach. That's my passion. How can people prevent that? Well, that's what I'm doing, you know. I like it. So... 2 Corinthians 5.17 is, if we are in Christ, he, you know, he starts a new life. So I started to talk about something was, which was very sensitive. 
I said to them, we all know the old life, don't we? What else could they do? You know what happened? We know all our old habits, our old kind of things that are going against God. We all know them. Yeah, I'm no, I do know them. And you know what happened? Some of the elderly guys, it must have hit them somehow. They stood up and went off. It wasn't a comfortable message, was it? I mean, I felt ashamed, as you can imagine, you know, because I don't want to chase people away. But indeed, we know all the old things. We do know them. This is why new things need to happen. And we see that happening here in these stories. He is using a plain language, not some kind of fancy theology or religious jargon. He's making himself, this is why so often we are accused here using words we don't understand. You know, they're, you know, they come, we know they come kind of church language, but we don't know what, what you're talking about. No, Paul is using their language. Which opens the next door, sharing his salvation experience. You know, it, this is what happens, you know. And I'm grateful for that. This is what happens when we share our testimony. It opens doors. Acts 22, 6 to 8 says, And it came about that it was on my way, approaching Damascus, about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. This was his testimony. This is actually the crucial point uh, in Paul's presentation. For now, the mob has to come to terms with the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He's risen from grave. You know, they were confronted with the fact Jesus is alive. He is no longer in the grave. He is alive. As the people listened Intently, he continues in Acts 22, 9 to 11, and you can read it, his story again about how the light blinded him and the voice told him to go to Damascus, having been led by the hand to the city. He waited there until Ananias came to him, healed his eyes, opened his eyes. He was indeed not only blind with his heart, but also his eyes. He was blind. So Ananias came and prayed with him. He, I don't think he was aware of it, but a miracle, you know, miracle happens surprisingly. So <laughs> it's great, you know, to see this happening. Then Paul relates 
a part of his story we did not hear about in Luke's account of his conversion in Acts 22, uh, verse 17 to 20, we read, And it came about, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believe in thee. When And when the blood of thy witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying him. That was what Paul did in his old life. Remember what you did, where you come from before Jesus opened your heart and your eyes? In prison, bear and approve of the stoning of Christians. That's what he did. But the Lord divinely interrupted that course and changed its direction. The most radical shift in Paul's thinking occurred when God explained to him his new plan for the world. So Paul next recounts to his Jewish listeners what the Lord told him. Acts 22.21 says, And he said to me, Go, get on the move, tell to others, you can't keep it for you. This is what the Lord tells us today and this morning, go, move, go into, go forward, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What? What? Gentiles? Hey, wait a minute. Red lights, kind of flash, sirens passed immediately in the minds of Paul's sailorsly Jewish audience. And although Paul was not quite finished, and what he wanted to say, minds, he was through. And thus, you know, an explosion came. This is not a story for the Gentiles. You shouldn't tell them. Never. It's for me alone. It's enough that I'm filling the pew of a church. How can we send people out? We need to keep them with us. They are very special workers. They are gifted. Can you see the duplicating all of again and again? Different, but very similar. So the reaction of the Jews came, and we read in Acts 22, 22 to 23, they listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Kill him! And... 
They were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air. What an amazing moment. We are told about the possibility that God could relate directly to the Gentiles through Christ. Greatly offended them. It's impossible. They should not hear that amazing story. In their way of thinking, all others in the world except God has chosen choose. The others were unworthy of God. Unworthy of God's offer of salvation. Theirs was the ultimate prejudice. Enraged, this crowd would have torn Paul apart. They would have cut him into pieces. I'm reminded to my friend and brother in Afghanistan. Some people know that um, I've been there in 2008, met a lot of people, but five of them are no longer alive. We are not longer alive. And one dear brother who was um, probably a good sound in your ears, he was in Nigeria, a missionary, you know. And then he was called to Afghanistan to work with the government as an advisor. And because Kabul is just in a valley and you can't look beyond, you know, you're kind of so restricted. And even now, if, if I remind it back to Kabul, that's how it is. You, the mountains surrounding this big city and you, you don't see beyond. So he took an, a brother, another German brother with him and they never came back. Three weeks later, they found a bag with Cut pieces small. The bodies of our two brothers were in two black bags just next to the road. And indeed, that could have happened in that situation as well with Paul. They really want to cut him into pieces. They were outraged. Notice what was absent. They stamped and they threw dust in the air, but no one countered Paul's defense. His argument was unanswerable. And I plead with you, take that with you. This is acts as pure as it can. Your personal testimony is an unanswerable argument. Nobody can, you know, discuss, go against. He had presented a subjective account of his changed life and had backed it up with the objective reality, Jesus Christ is risen from dead. Before I was blind, but now I can see. All this evidence was too much for them to handle. And then when the Romans commander saw them become violent, he reacted quickly. Of course, he had to react quickly, otherwise they would have cut him into pieces. He reacted and silenced the riot, 
And, uh, you know, the reaction of the Jews and the third point standing before the Romans. Now, the Greek-speaking commander had not understood a word Paul had said. He spoke a different language. In his mind, something criminal must have been behind the tumult. So we read in Acts 22:24, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. Now, why would the commander order scourging? By the way, this was not... A punishment. It was simply the most effective way of extracting either the truth or a confession. And you see that happening all over. You know, in uh, governments that are, that are not working according to the law, that's what they do. They beat people up until they confess what they they want them to confess, but it's not the truth. And that should have happened here as well. The scourge was a leather whip studded uh, intervals at intervals and with sharp pieces of bone and lead. Few men survived in their right senses and many died under it. Can you imagine the kind of pain that comes out of that? However, there was a small problem with this method, which Paul wasted no time in bringing to their attention. He didn't shut his mouth. So often, you know, we are asked as Christians, don't be quiet. Don't tell them, you know, it's okay. But Paul did not react like that. And I want to make you aware of it because when we talk about misuse, this is the point. This is the point. So please be aware of this. It's very important. Acts 22, 25 to 29 says, When they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned. And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you doing? For this man is a, is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. He did not refuse. Under the commander came Yes, and he said yes to him. And the commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, but I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him. And the commander also was afraid when he was found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. Knowing that this is illegal for a Roman citizen to 
be bound on the be and beaten publicly, to death Paul stops the soldiers in their tracks. For although the Lord Jesus had called him to suffer for his name, that calling did not include needless suffering. This is my point. Very important. And Paul knew that this task was not, his task was not completed yet. He must still go to Rome. He, so he wisely guarded his life. As a result, since the commander could not uh, whip the answers out of him, he turned him loose against to his own people. And of course, and that's my fourth and last point before we apply, you know, that's very important when I'm with you, I want to apply it on today, now, in 2023, February 2023. That's important for me because we want to apply things in our daily life, just like Paul did it. Yeah, Paul, of course, was released to the council. We read about that in Acts 22.30. On the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. Next week, we shall hear, next Sunday, <clears throat> we shall hear the uh, his address to the Sanhedrin. We will talk about that next week. For now, let us pause a moment to review a couple of truths from this passage. What is it talking about to you and to me? What are the facts? Where should we actually follow in the footsteps of Paul. From Paul we can learn that experience alone is questionable, but a testimony based on facts is unanswerable. The focus of our witnessing should be the Lord Jesus himself. That's the very focus. We should point to the cross to forgiveness, to eternal life. These are the bones and the muscles of our testament and our personal experiences, the flesh, which our hearers identify because they're also in day-to-day -day life just as we are. They are struggling just as we are. And we can talk about our struggles. It's not prohibited so often uh, people think Christians are never struggling. But that's a lie. That's not the truth. We are struggling. Experience without facts removes the substance, substance of our claim, resulting in a defense of Christianity then that can be easily struck down. So the first point we learn, we can learn. I mean, it's up to us whether we learn it or not. But we can learn. That's great if we learn, if we can t take, if we take something out of what we 
read in the Bible. Experience alone is questionable, but a testimony based on facts is unanswerable. And secondly, Paul, we can learn from him, humility is one thing, but indignity is something else entirely. When the soldiers were preparing Paul for scorching, he could have thought, this suffering is God's will. And he said, yeah, okay, sit down, you know, what is it all about, you know? Okay, let's beat, put my head, you know, and just uh, kill me. It's all right, you know, I don't know, I know that I needed to go to Rome, but it's all right. They can scorch me, you know do their job, and then I'm with Christ anyway. Could he do that or not? Of course he could do that. What would have been his decision? Nobody would ever ask him. But he knew that being needlessly victimized is not the same as humbly suffering for Christ. The scorching is of a battered wife. And now it becomes very personal, and I'm aware that some of us, our listeners here or elsewhere, it may touch their lives. And, but that's done in love. The scorching of a battered wife, an abused employee, or a molested child are not examples of biblical submission. Not. There is a time to claim our rights as citizens of God's kingdom and defend ourselves. Now, let us explore this a little bit further. Indignities tolerated in the name of submission are the scourges of a human human spirit. They violate a person's worth, sense of humor, and self-esteem. They may be verbal or non-verbal, subtle or outright, against a child, a spouse, a friend, or a co-worker. And we are reminded this is happening even in, in some churches. Have you ever been, now this is a very personal question. And please bear with those that are struck by that question. Have you ever been victimized? or by a wrongful demand for submission that assaulted your dignity in that way? Now, have you, been, have you tried to cope with it? You may even struggle now to cope with it because it's misuse. If you have been abused, you do not need to silently endure it any longer. Christ never meant biblical submission to be an excuse for abuse. Of all the spiritual disciplines, none has been more abused than the discipline of submission. It's hard for me to point out to that. Nothing in religion has done more to manipulate and destroy people than the deficient teaching of submission. 
The limits of the discipline of submissions are at the points at which it becomes destructive. And then it becomes a denial of the law of love as taught by the Lord Jesus. And it is an affront to genuine biblical submission. Therefore, we must work our way through this discipline with great care and discernment in order to ensure that we are the ministers of life and not of death, killing people's spirit. We may not kill them, their body, but we kill their spirit. Do you know how much harm that causes? And it has caused. In the same way that Paul had rights as a Roman with citizens, you have rights as a citizen of the kingdom of God. The rights of dignity, the rights of self-respect, the rights of honor. If you are being abused or someone else in your home is, take the first step towards freedom by calling it what it is. Do not be afraid to stop Denying it. Denial is not your friend. He's not your friend. It is, by the way, another attacker. It attacks, it goes against you. If your testimony is just Jesus makes me feel good. You know, many say that, you know. It's, a, it's such it's a nice feeling, you know. I like that Feeling, you know, happy, clapping hands, raising hands, and jumping jack, and it's all right. The argument for Christianity is easily answered if it's like that. That is fine for you, but it's not for me. You can jump. Great. Good that you can do it. But I'm in daily life. How can we present an unanswerable argument? I want to finish by the Now, now before he spoke of Christ, Paul began in Acts 22. His argument by identifying with the listeners and describing portions of his life. Consider a few people with whom you would like to share your testimony today or tomorrow at your working place. Share it. Well, not at work. Of course, you are there to work and earn money. But there's some time, you know, where you can open your mouth and share your testimony. How could you describe your life in a way they could relate to? In Acts 22, Paul then explained his encounter with Christ. How was the moment for you when Christ confronted you at your Damascus Road? Do you still remember When you became a Christian, your life before, without Christ, remember, please, remember. This is how other people live without Christ. In Damascus, Ananias' prophecy verified Paul's vision as we read in Acts 22. What biblical facts validate your experience. It is always good to be reminded what the Bible says. The book, the textbook, our, your and mine,
Textbook. What does it say? Jesus is God in the flesh. He became one of us. Jesus lived a sinless life. We talk and read about it in Hebrew 4.15. My sin condemns me to death. Romans 6.23. Jesus died on the cross in my place. Romans 5.8. Jesus' resurrection guarantees my new life with him. Romans 6, 4 and 5. Well, these are the facts. In Acts 22, 16, Paul next explained how he received forgiveness by calling on his name, trusting in Christ. What made you trust in the Lord Jesus? And finally, Paul told, told of his mission in life after he became a Christian. What changed? In Acts 22, uh, 27 and 23, we read how Paul's audience reacted violently to his testimony. And you can expect that from yours as well. I'm sorry to say so. Your listeners too may scoff at your testimony, but they will not be able to deny the facts. Never. Hopefully, they will accept him. By this, they would have an answer for your argument. I was blind, but now I see. I believe in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are amazed how you work today in this world. Some of the things it's hard for us to stomach. Yet we see your loving hand, your grace, your endurance with the humans you made, with the people you created. We thank you for this great story and this testimony. We, Lord Jesus, we ask you to open our mouth, our mind and spirit to share the risen Lord Jesus wherever we can so that others also bow before you and accept you as the risen Lord Jesus. Thank you for the mission you give us day by day to present people with that very gospel of salvation. Thank you for this time together. We praise you and we worship you. Strengthen us, our heart and mind and spirit. For your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.